This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, January the 2nd, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown. Coming to you on AMI-tv, I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Happy New Year to you. Coming up on the show today, how would you like to see corporate culture evolve in 2024? Kelly Brown Johnson weighs in. And how do you feel about tracing your DNA? Laura Bain shares her experience using genetic ancestry kits. And the weekly news quiz will look back on the biggest news headlines of 2023. You'll find out if contestants Alicia Yardley, Karen McGee, and Alex Smythe can remember all of these bits and bites of news from the last 12 months. Speaking of news, let's get to the top story of the day. New year, new you, or at least new financial policies affecting you. There are changes coming to the Canada Pension Plan contributions from your paycheck. Lori Paris explains. The Enhanced Pension Plan means Canadian workers pay more now in pension contributions but will receive higher benefits in retirement. New for 2024 is a second earnings ceiling that affects those making more than $68,500 per year. Those higher income workers now make additional contributions on their earnings up to a $73,200 ceiling. One economist says the changes are designed to strengthen benefits and enhance overall financial stability for prospective retirees. Laurie Paris, The Canadian Press. And a few provinces are changing gas tax policies. Brenda Molina-Navidad has the details. The Manitoba government says that starting today, motorists won't have to pay 14 cents per litre in fuel tax for the next six months. Meanwhile, the Alberta government is reintroducing the gas tax after pausing it nearly two years ago. Starting today, motorists can expect to pay a tax of 9 cents per litre at the pumps. And the Saskatchewan government says its natural gas utility will stop collecting a carbon tax from residential customers. Brenda Molina-Navidad has that angle covered too. The move comes after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau exempted those who use home heating oil from paying the levy, mostly benefiting residents in Atlantic Canada. Saskatchewan asked for the exemption to cover all other forms of heating, but Ottawa denied the request. And in response, the province decided to stop collecting the charge at the start of 2024. The minister responsible for Sask Energy says the due date to pay the levy to the federal government is the last day of February. Should Sask Energy not remit those dollars, it would be breaking federal law. Brenda Molina-Navidad, The Canadian Press. Shifting away from energy policy, but some other new laws on the books. Ontario has some new ones. Karen Rebo has those details. 
As of today, all child care operators in Ontario must now develop a policy outlining how they will closely monitor the arrival of children. The changes are intended to prevent the rare but horrendous deaths of young children inadvertently left in hot cars. Also coming into force today are changes to the tow truck industry. Those include new customer rights around providing consent to tow a car and where exactly it'll be towed. The Ontario government also takes over the tow truck licensing regime from municipalities and will require certification of all towing operators and vehicle storage companies. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And here's a story that might increase your blood pressure. The CEOs of Canada's largest companies had a good year financially. The top 100 CEOs earned an average of $14.9 million. Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives senior economist David McDonald puts those numbers in context. This is very much related to what's happening to corporate profits um, in 2022, similar to what happened in 2021. Um, and, uh, you know, it is a similar story of inflation driving profits, profits driving bonuses, uh, and CEOs reaping the rewards. J. Patrick Doyle topped the list. He's the CEO of Restaurant Brands International, which owns Tim Hortons, Burger King, and Popeyes. Doyle made... $152.8 million that came exclusively in the form of share and option-based awards. In other words, basically untaxable. The average chief executive will have already made the average worker's yearly salary by the end of today. But, you know, there's a recession going on. Just just, just so we're clear, right? There's a recession. But uh, $14.9 million. Can't give people raises. But, uh, yeah. There's a recession. Uh, the economy is complicated. I think that was the lesson from 2023, and that will be the lesson that goes into 2024 as well. And I'm going to yammer on about it, whether you like it or not. Let's get to the daily polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Right before the Christmas break, you were asked, how do you contribute to charitable causes during the holidays? 38% of you said donate money, 12% of you said donate items, 12% of you said volunteer, and 38% of you said I don't. Today's daily poll is all about polar dips because hundreds of people across Canada took part in polar dips on New Year's Day. Spencer Vale describes his experience plunging in to Lake Ontario. Yeah, I got into the water and I'm like, oh, damn, it's cold. But like the adrenaline was rushing. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. It was a fun experience. I definitely recommend and I'm definitely doing it again next year for sure. Luca Terabakia explains why she did it. I, I just want to do it because it looks fun um, and I love waves and the waves are going and um, just want to do it because, you know, raising money for water. The Oakville, Ontario dip raised over $100,000 to fund clean water projects. Sackville, Nova Scotia resident Joni McNally ran into the frigid ocean water at Queensland Beach. I'm excited, a little bit of butterflies, but also, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lover of the water. We're always at the beach, but yeah. this is my first time that it's going to be a little bit more of the frigid side. But I think it's something just, you know, a bit of a challenge, just start the new year on the right track, and I'm excited. Eleven people took part in that particular Nova Scotia dip. There were dips held all across the country. Vancouver's dip at English Bay has been going on for 104 years. 
So this is what leads to today's daily poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Would you ever plunge yourself in freezing water, yes or no? Laura Bain, Happy New Year. You strike me as someone who might be a little bit more adventurous on this file. Yeah, Happy New Year, Dave. Um, so yes, I would, and I have. Uh, so I did the polar bear dip about three years ago. Uh, it was like a run-in, run-out situation on a beach at the Black Rock Beach here in Halifax. Now, I tripped and fell on my run-in, so I got the full immersive oof, experience, oof. Uh, which was good. That was, what, <laughs> that was what I was going for. But I definitely, you know, found it very refreshing and... Uh, we went at sunrise, so it was really beautiful as well with the sun coming up. And then, like, the best thing about kind of getting cold and wet is that then you get to go home and you get, co like, cozy and warm and you've got the whole day ahead of you. So <laughs> um, I found it was a pretty good way to start the year. Now, I haven't repeated the experience, but I would. And I am going to a Nordic spa next week, which has, like, saunas and cold pools. So I think I'm going to get a little bit of a like late New Year's polar dip next week. Okay, I wanted to pull it that thread as well, but I want to give Alex the opportunity to chime in on this one as well. Alex Smythe, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Would you plunge yourself in freezing cold water? Yes, Dave, I would, because like Laura, I have done it multiple times, oh. including on Tamra for all the folks at home to enjoy. When I was in Edmonton working on AMI this week, we did a polar plunge as part of a fundraiser for Special Olympics Alberta. And so they cut up a hole in the ice and uh, pulled the ice out and you could jump in. Now I did it. It was, uh, it, it, it's a shock to the system completely. I will say, while I was in and out rather quickly and trying to keep myself dry and, and, and towel off and things like that, they had uh, firefighters and emergency crews who were in the water the entire Ugh. day. I was blown away how these guys were managing to be in there. Like, obviously, they had dry suits and things like that, but there were some of them that didn't even have hats on. There was literally icicles forming on their ears, I remember, and it's just like, how are you like still able to deal with these conditions? But you know, that that really impressed me more than just being my like cannonball in and like five seconds in and out um, afterwards. But uh, yes, I've done it. I've done it on, on uh, camera and I will continue to do it because there is something fun and unique about the experience. I don't even like jumping in cold-ish water during the summer. I can't imagine plunging into the lake or the ocean uh, in the middle of winter when it's uh, freezing cold. So uh, I'm going to do a hard pass on that one. But Laura, you did uh, spark my interest a little bit here with this Spa Nordic experience. The uh, Maybe taking a little bit of an ice bath and then grabbing a sauna. Maybe I would stick to the hot tub and the sauna or a room temperature pool and the sauna and the steam room. But I do think maybe you're onto something here. I think if I was ever to plunge myself in water that was even resembling freezing, I, I'm going to want something of a more controlled experience, like a spa nordique. Yeah, I don't know. And I also don't like kind of running into cold water in the summer. I think there is something about the extreme temperature that almost, and like the short duration, and then you kind of get that adrenaline. Uh, you know, it, it's not quite as brutal as like going swimming even in the summer sometimes. But yeah, um, we'll see. Uh, I've got to like look up a little bit about how to do it so I don't uh, do it wrong. <laughs> but I'm guessing there'll just be a little bit of sauna, jump in the water, sauna. We'll see. I like, I like where 
Laura's at. When I grew up, I want to be. I want to be like Laura Bain. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, would you ever plunge yourself into freezing water? Yes or no? Whether that's a polar dip or whether that's the spawn or dick experience or anything in between. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also chime in via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca or pick up the phone and give the show a ring 1-866-509-4545 1-866-509-4545 if you do leave a voicemail please uh, give permission to for it to be played on the air and hey if you want to maybe send in a selfie video or an audio file you can also do that over social media whether it's direct messaging or you can just flat out tag Accessible Media in a post on Instagram or TikTok. Instagram's at Accessible Media Inc. And TikTok is at Accessible Media. Coming up after the break, how would you like to see corporate culture evolve in 2024? Kelly Braun Johnson weighs in. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in streaming audio at amiplus.ca. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I think you can hear it in my voice. I've got a little bit of optimism in me today. I've got a good feeling about 2024, or at the very least, I see its potential. There's been lots of talk about progress in the last few years. Perhaps this is the year of action. So what's on your wish list? Let's put together a workplace wish list with Kelly Braun Johnson. Kelly is the founder of Completely Inclusive. Hey, good morning, Kelly. Nice to talk to you. Happy New Year. Good morning, Dave. Happy New Year. Kelly, you spent some time last year talking about committees within the workplace that are committed to inclusion. How would you like to see corporate culture evolve around those committees in 2024? Yeah, I've been actually quite vocal uh, and public about it on LinkedIn, uh, about some of the embarrassing dissolution of uh, very important corporate and government committees. Um, last year, for example, all the members of CN's Indigenous Advisory Committee mass resigned after two years of work. And then the instant that that was announced, which was very quiet, um, all of their info was taken off the website. And I, I kind of was kind of shocked. It was just poof, they just disappeared. Um, and then the technical committee uh, for the Accessibility Standards uh, Canada, which I know that you know people in that committee as well, that got disbanded at the end of last year and swallowed up under their AI committee. And for me, I kind of felt like I had wasted my time. Um, and there was a lot of disappointment in that. So what I would like to see happen in 2024 and beyond is just more respect for committees. So if companies and governments are going to have them, they should set a time frame. Like for example, if it's only supposed to last for two years, let us know ahead of time. Um, tell us what the expectations are. Uh, tell us where our input is actually going to be used. Um, I don't wanna see committees being created to just score optics points or because it's a kind of a knee jerk reaction to something. Um, I wanna see us and our time being used um, 
towards what I think committees should really be used for, right? Just to, to bring in that important input and that perspective. Kelly, as I read between the lines in that answer, I think there's also an element of continuity here, right? That it's not just a wasted effort or a wasted energy. It's that here are the ideas. What's the roadmap to implement these ideas? Or frankly, if you want to reject the ideas, you have to tell me explicitly that you're rejecting the idea. Yeah, and, and have have at least some of that dialogue, but this kind of just felt very one-sided. Um, and you know, even when people complained after the fact, um, again, I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't really know what happens. So all the stuff that we contributed and everything that we spent our time on. Mm. Kelly, I want to make note of something and how appreciative I am of you being the first contributor columnist to join the show this year because you're based in Quebec, you're based in Montreal. January 2nd, actually a statutory holiday in the province of Quebec. I would like to see, if I was to make a wish list here, how about some more stat holidays and every company adopting January 2nd as a day off? What do you think? I mean, yeah, we have some interesting days off that we get, but then the rest of Canada doesn't get, and then there's some that the rest of Canada gets that we don't get. So. I think kind of it does sort of balance out in the end. I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give up family day in February. I like that stat holiday in <laughs> February, but I'm willing to give you, I'm willing to say, hey, Quebec, you should get that stat holiday in February too. Just more stat holidays all around, Kelly. I agree. We should take all of them, everybody. <laughs> and and that actually connects to one of the points that I want to talk about. If I was really thinking about my wish list this year, now maybe there's a bit of personal bias on this one, but work-life balance is something that I've been thinking about and wanting to strive towards. And I do think companies should be redoubling their efforts on that front. More stat holidays, more vacation time, personal days, paid sick leave from a general institutional and societal point of view. But I'd also love for workplaces to figure out more flexible work schedules, or dare I say, Kelly, the four-day work week. What do you think? So, yeah, I'm with you. I think let's be more like Europe. Um, we know it works because we can look to countries um, like England, Germany, Sweden, Italy. Um, they give ample vacation time, like in, I'm talking months of vacation time. Uh, and they're able to have a balance uh, with their businesses so that businesses really do actually shut down for that time. People do have to have like a mandated rest period, essentially. Um, and we know it works. I think a lot of the fear here in North America is, oh, well, you know, businesses have to keep running, we can't stop, um, and, and things like that. And I think that we can adopt the European model um, and, and kind of change the way that we think about how, how businesses should run. I think we could also do the four-day uh, four work week. Um, and there's different ways to do that. Uh, again, people say that, oh, we can't shut down and things like that, I think that we can do something like a rotating uh, four-day work week in some cases of businesses that really can't stop. Um, so somebody takes Monday to Thursday, the next people take, um, what was it, Tuesday to Saturday, that kind of thing, or you move the weekend over like to a Wednesday and a Thursday, and people can rotate those those days, right? Not everybody wants to have a Saturday, Sunday weekend necessarily either. Mm -hmm. um, so just bringing in that idea of flexibility, um, we see it. Sometimes some companies do Friday hours, uh, summer hours on Fridays, but everybody has to work an extra day, uh, sorry, an extra day, an extra an extra hour um, from Monday to Thursday in order to be allowed to take the Friday afternoon off. And I don't think that's really fair. I don't think that mm. is the solution. 
I think we should just, if we're going to have Fridays off, just have Fridays off. Um, I don't know, Dave, what do you think? Well, I, I think part of it is looking at productivity in a new way. The productivity is not measured necessarily in widgets created anymore. But mm -hmm. Kelly, what I really appreciate about your answer there, the insight that you give, is you're talking about better staffing, right? And staffing really matters in the way to execute something like that. Because something that I've observed especially in the last, let's call it eight to 12 months, talking to people who I interact with in the service industry, but people in general public facing enterprise uh, overall, they're talking about a total lack of staffing and support within companies, like a total lack of freelancers or part-timers or really anybody to offer any kind of support to allow for an alleviated staffing. So something that I would actually like to see to maybe help folks with burnout and even service standards slipping is just having better staffing across industries. And of course, alongside that is comes with compensation. But 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 I think I think you understand what I'm kind of digging at there. It's not necessarily saying you need to hire 77,000 more full-time employees, but maybe understanding that there are some folks who might want a part-time job and they can be used to fill some of these gaps and compensate them properly and accordingly for the importance of that position. So, I mean, we kind of just lived through, here in Quebec, we lived through a massive public sector strike, right? With 65,500 people uh, who were negotiating uh, for fair pay and and better conditions. Um, so we absolutely have issues when we're talking about compensation, we're talking about staffing. Um, and of course, you're gonna have hard a hard time finding people to fill those particular roles um, when the conditions and the compensation are so bad that people feel that they have to strike. Um, so again, you know, the government shouldn't have, have never have let it get this bad. This was obviously a crisis situation. Um, but if we want to see people taking these jobs and, and we want to see that, that change has to come very quickly. Um, and it's also important to note, I want to note, like, especially with uh, the strike that happened here in Quebec, the jobs that um, were the people that were striking and these kind of jobs, they were primarily um, jobs that are seen as women's jobs, women's work. Um, and so we're still not paying women um, fairly either. And if I could see that change in 2024, again, that's kind of a pipe dream, but um, that's kind of where I'd like to see some of the focus as well. We need to look at how we're compensating different people in different mm. aspects of our society. Um, and women is one of those. Better pay equity. I, I am. I am not going to. I'm not going to argue with that one uh, this morning, Kelly. Especially when I shared some data in the first segment of the show. The Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives released their annual CEO report. Uh, the average CEO in Canada made $14.9 million from the top hundred companies. Uh, those CEOs are going to outearn the average worker by the end of today. So when I start thinking about pay equity, yeah. it certainly is about in understanding like diversity and equity, but also understanding like adequate compensation for people who are working their tails off in the working class right now. And and, and that mm -hmm. and that has been one of the, the big missing pieces here. People can talk about raising minimum wage. I'm not just talking about minimum wage. I'm talking about broad-based understanding of, of, of a huge swath of workers in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and the way that we respect these jobs, the way that we, we view these jobs, um, again, that's, that's a whole shift that, that needs to happen. Kelly, anything else on your wish list heading into 2024? So again, if I could wish, uh, if I could wave a wand and, and see what happens, um, 
I would like to see some real investment in inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. Um, I need to see companies seeing it as worthwhile. And, and the issue here, I think, is that especially the younger generations, Zen, Zen G, <laughs> Gen Z and, and younger generations are, are really making choices about where they want to work. Um, and they are looking at companies' track record when it comes to these issues. And so things like justice and inclusion and social awareness. Um, so I think it, this has to happen. Businesses have to start really putting the money and the investment at the time uh, in behind this if, if they want to kind of keep up. And like you said, keep attracting um, workers, having adequate staffing. Uh, they've got to adopt some sort of more cultural understanding and, and accessibility. Um, and and just the aspects of inclusion and, and being flexible to to what can what can be, um, and the other change I would like to see is um, businesses not just using the Accessible Canada Act as the pinnacle of what can be done for accessibility. Um, to me, that's really the foundation to start from. And if we're going to have legislation um, and guidelines on where businesses should be. Um, somebody needs to be holding them accountable right now mm. we don't really have much going on in terms of making sure that standards are being implemented and so again we shouldn't just do right when people are watching but right now no one's actually watching really anyway and so i want to see businesses kind of take that further and 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 do better kelly this is a fantastic wish list heading into the year thank you for your insight looking forward to another great year of chats with you thank you so much yeah that's Kelly Braun Johnson, founder of Completely Inclusive, working on a statutory holiday in Quebec. So big thank you to Kelly for being part of that one. Coming up after the break, maybe you're not working today. Maybe you're off to do a little ice fishing. I get the impression that Lawrence Gunther might be doing that after he talks to you, offering up some tips how to ice fish accessibly. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Ice fishing season got off to a slow start in a huge swath of Canada. Folks in the Winnipeg area are only getting out on the ice starting today. Eastern Ontario has been warm as heck, which has uh, definitely kept ice fishermen off the uh, lakes and ponds in that neck of the woods. And that's probably bumming Lawrence Gunther out. Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Happy New Year. Same to you, Dave. <laughs> uh, Lawrence, it was really mild last week in Eastern Ontario. I experienced, experienced that one big time. It really feels like this time of year... This is when safety and ice fishing really go hand in hand. You're right, Dave. And the thing is to be patient, right? If you rush out there with some of the, uh, you know, the more adventurous types or foolish types, I call them, you know, onto two inches of ice or, or soggy ice, ice that's decaying, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. What are, what are some of the evaluation points? What are some of the things maybe a more uh, beginner or intermediate ice fisherman needs to know about thickness and safety before they get on the ice? 
Well, you know, it, it, you want to have like uh, four to six inches of good solid black ice, right? Not the cloudy ice, the, the ice that's full of snow and slush that just sort of froze like a milkshake. So, you know, four to six inches, that's uh, 10 to 15 centimeters. How do you test that? Bring a spud, you know, walk a bit, spud through the uh, ice, uh, you know, see how thick it is. If it's solid, if it's your spuds crashing through, then think twice, get back off of it. Um, you know, that's really important to, and it, and you can never really trust ice. So you always want to think about what am I going to wear? So a flotation suit or a life jacket, if you have one, an inflatable life jacket on the outside of your clothing, no one's going to laugh at you at the beginning of the season. If you do something like that, having some ice picks around your shoulders, hanging there, uh, ready to go. So if you do fall through, you can, you know, there's nothing to grab onto if you're just sort of dangling in a hole and holding yourself up by your arms. So to have some picks in your hands that you can slam into the ice and, and use to pull yourself out like a like a seal like you know lie down on the ice on your stomach and kick your feet and pull yourself out like a seal that's important and uh, just be aware go where people are going you know don't necessarily go into places where there's no sign of any human activity yeah you you want to be uh, following following the lures uh so to speak following the lures <laughs> if you will uh lawrence yeah. that's the safety first side of the equation and that is an important side of the equation but ice fishing is also supposed to be fun what are mm. the things that someone can bring along to make the experience more fun besides a flask of whiskey you know a little propane heater for heat is one thing some shelter would be nice or even a windbreak of some sort just to just to cut that little bit of wind some food something to cook on you know make some warm food some warm drink that's always great uh you know underwater cameras are very popular so you can lower them down into the ice and you can see because in the winter time the water gets very clear because there's no wind stirring the water up so if you have some vision you can use some underwater cameras to look down there and, uh, you know, just, just having some friends and family around, that's that's really what counts, right? Fam ice fishing really is a community activity. Yeah, spending time with people is is, mm. is a lot of the fun and a lot of the reason why you want to go out there and spend eight hours uh, freezing your nips off on the lake. Uh, Lawrence, <laughs> what about the disability lens to this? What is What are some of the tips in tech that you would recommend to someone who's blind or partially sighted when they want to get out on the ice? Well, amazingly, this is where it, we do well, right? It's people with low vision, no vision. You know, if you think about an ice-covered lake, uh, it's just covered in ice and snow. No one can see what's down there. You drill a hole, you're peeking, everyone's kind of looking. You can't see much, so <laughs> everyone's fishing blind, right? So, you know, the, the kind of gear I like to go with is they have little ice fishing rods you can buy. Some of the tips on those ice fishing rods are very springy. They call them like spring bobbers or spring tips. You want to avoid those. You will feel nothing. And if you can't see that tip going up and down to signify a bite it's it's pointless to you so get a rod that has a slightly stiffer tip so you will feel some of that activity you can put a little bell they sell little bells you can clip onto the tip of your rod so if you put your rod down in a rod holder and some activity happens you'll hear that those bells tinkling if you're in a shack you can get rattle reels so if the reel starts to unwind the little rattles go off inside the reel another one my favorite is a, a blue tips b-l-u-e-t-i-p-z you can clip them onto your tip up. So these are little ice fishing things that you set around in, in holes. And if you get a bite, a flag pops up. Well, your little blue tip clips to the, uh, the flagstaff. So when it pops up, a mercury switch goes off. It sends a, a little Bluetooth signal to your iPhone, very accessible. And all of a sudden you get a message on your iPhone saying, hey, uh, number two is 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 active. You get an audio message and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. 
Lawrence, I am too immature to uh, hear anybody use the expression stiff tip. So I'm just going to move on and start talking <laughs> about guide dogs. How does your guide dog like being out on the ice? They love it, Dave. They can see in 360 degrees for miles in all directions. They just love being out there. You know, they get real sort of territorial. They want to pee on everyone's equipment. So watch out oh, for no. that. You don't want to... oh, no. <laughs> your dog marketing, marking your ter- your equipment is one thing. When they start running over to other people's tents and peeing on the corners of other people's tents, it's not appreciated. But the main thing is... You know, think about what they're standing on. It, it, you know, it's much better for a dog to stand in snow than it is to stand on bare ice, right? The, the snow is insulation, and they love being on snow. Bare ice, you don't want to sh- scrape it down and keep the dog on bare ice. Always make a nice snowy bed for them. And if they, if there is no snow, which is what we're facing with now, you know, think about some, some protection for the dog's paws so they don't get cut from ice shards, mm. right? You know, their dogs are, you got to take care of the paws, right? The other thing is... Is they want to run on the on ice, and uh, you want to prevent that because if they run and get a joint strain, you know, some sort of sprain in their ankle or hip, or or you know, it, that's going to prevent the dog from working for weeks potentially, and it could be a problem going down the road. So you know, keep the activity to a minimum if it's glare ice. They want to run and they want to slide and and fool around, but if it's just glare ice, that's one thing. If it's snow, that's quite another. Let let them run, put a little bell on them. And uh, get them into some shelter, you know, if it's really cold. If your dog's not used to standing around in bus shelters and taking long walks in the wintertime, he's not going to have that tolerance to cold. So you're going to need some sort of shelter, right, to keep the dog, uh, to give him a break from that freezing cold. You can't take a city dog out of an apartment and (laughs) plop him on the ice for eight hours and expect that he's going to have fun all eight hours. At some point, they're going to get cold. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it's important to have a blankie. (laughs) Definitely a blankie, maybe one of those sheds with a space heater, you know, the the bougie way of ice fishing the dave brown way of ice fishing uh lawrence i i know i know you love ice fishing what are some of your fond memories oh you know well i'm gonna make one this winter if the ice cooperates right now the ice is you know not cooperating but we're gonna head out to trois rivieres in quebec and we're gonna go fish for tom cod they they swim up from the ocean and go into the rivers to spawn and it's quite a festival on the ice so we've made plans for that in two weeks um, but I, you know, even like the Bay of Quint, just outside Toronto there and Sandbanks, that's a, that's a haven for ice fishing. And there's so much great ice fishing there. I remember once they, I, I, I hired this guide and <clears throat> he brought me out on his ATV and I was on the first load. So I'm sitting on the back of the ATV and he unclips my sled, drops me off the ATV and we drove for about 20 minutes and then he takes off and I'm listening to his motor just disappear and, you know, it fade away. And I'm standing on the ice and and the mouth of this Bay of Quint that goes down to Lake Ontario. And I know Lake Ontario is not frozen, but the bay is. And it's just absolute silence. Nothing, not a sound. You know, it's the morning, the sun's just starting to peak up. And I'm thinking, what happens if he doesn't come back? You know, which way is, which way is out of here? How do I get back? I don't even have my dog with me because I came out with the ATV. And, um, I think, you know, I, I could just be stranded out here. And if I walk off in the wrong direction, I'll hit Lake Ontario and just sink and never be seen again. Oh dear. And I'm starting to get a little worried. And, you know, are they coming back? And then I hear a, all of a sudden I hear a zipper off to my side and then another zipper. And then I hear someone cough. And, and then I realize I'm surrounded by other ice anglers in their tents already. <laughs> got to be aware of your surroundings Lawrence hey Lawrence all this talk about ice and the water actually relates to the daily poll question for today because Mm. folks all across the country did the polar dip yesterday plunging into lakes and oceans across the country 
Lawrence, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, would you ever plunge yourself in freezing cold water? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's mind over matter, right? Like, it's not that hard to do. You know, think about it. You're in the shower, you turn the water on cold, it hits your face. Yeah, that's hard to take, right? That's a big gasp moment. And that's what you have to do when you're plunging. You have to be prepared not to gasp and suck in a big lung full of water. But when you turn around and that cold water is hitting your back after a big workout in the gym, Dave, you know this. You know, (laughs) it doesn't feel that cold, right? You know? (laughs) <laughs> you know, you think hot hot water in your back is going to calm the muscles down? No, that's that cold water you want, and you barely feel the cold. It just feels great, so <laughs> it's mind over matter. I know something about the big workouts. I was clanging and banging yesterday in the morning at the yeah. gym, uh, throwing up the bench press numbers, trying to do uh, two and a half plates. But uh, I don't wow. know. I, the, the cold water's not for me, Lawrence. I'll, I'll head straight to the sauna and uh, do the warm <laughs> thing for me. Hey, Lawrence, thank you for this. Always great catching up. Have yourself a lovely day. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Dave. That is Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can catch that show Saturdays, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. In 60 seconds, Alex Smythe will have the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. North American stock markets will open for the first trading day of the new year this morning. Toronto's TSX index gained 29 points Friday to close the year at 20,958. New York's Dow Jones average gave back 20 points and the Nasdaq lost 83. Japanese markets were closed today for New Year's holidays, but Hong Kong's Hang Seng index tumbled 258 points. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 75.49 cents U.S. The Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives says Canada's 100 highest paid CEOs broke records with their compensation in 2022. Most of the men were paid an average of $14.9 million. That is $7,162 an hour or 246 times more than what the average Canadian worker makes. In fact, the report says the average CEO has already made the average worker's yearly salary before the end of day, January 2nd. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Let's turn to the world of weather with Alex Smythe. Alex, you've got a little bit of reflection to do on what was a busy weather month in the province of Ontario. Yeah, Dave, and we just heard earlier in the segment about Lawrence talking about how the ice in Ottawa and Ontario wasn't quite where it has been in the past. And there's a good reason for that because the month of December saw a record-breaking, record-setting level of weather in different forms when it came to temperatures, precipitation, things like that. There were numerous records broken in December for Ontario. So I wanna kinda go through some of them and highlight some of the key numbers. So in terms of the conditions and the weather and the warmth itself, Kenora saw the highest average and warmest temperatures in December on record by three degrees. It was setting a new temperature warm of over three degrees above its seasonal conditions. Meanwhile, in places like Hamilton, London, Windsor, and Toronto, it was their second warmest Decembers on record. So Kenora, warmest on record. For those other places, second warmest Decembers on record. When it came to precipitation, it was really dependent on the location. So the province saw an above average rainfall for December, places like Toronto, 
saw 200% of the average rainfall. Ottawa, also 200%. Now, for Toronto, that meant it's the sixth wettest uh, month for December on record. Sixth wettest month when it came to rain. Ottawa, fourth wettest December on record. I mentioned Kenora a bit earlier with the warm temperatures. Well, that also had a role to play when it came to the rainfall because they had 14 millimeters of rain in the month of December. That may not seem like a lot, but on average, they typically get around 1.1 millimeter of rain because the rest of that precipitation takes the form of snow. So they only had between one and 2% of the actual snowfall they expect for the month of December. The rest of it came in rain. And Timmins was just like Knorr. They saw between 1% to 2% of their snowfall. It was the fewest snow, uh, amount of snowfall ever for the month of December. So those are all the records from December. What does it mean now? Well, when we make our way into the new year, the warm conditions are set to continue for the next week or so in eastern and southern Ontario. Hopefully colder air will then begin to push in, create deeper lows within the Great Lakes region. So you'll start to see more of those temperate kind of conditions. You'll start to see more of the snowflakes, less of the rain as the month of January moves on. But Dave, it's, uh, it's going to be a warm start to the year in Ontario, that's for sure. Thank you very much for this. Alex, coming up after the break, weather conditions and spending time in nature. That thought process continues when Anna Kim talks about the positive experiences of winter walks in the park. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It is New Year's resolution season. And one of the most common resolutions you'll encounter is, I want to lose a little bit of weight. I want to get in shape. Let me tell you, as an experienced gym goer, the first week of January is not the week you want to spend at the gym. So maybe you want to look for a different way to burn some calories. How about a winter walk in the park. Wetaskiwin, Alberta community reporter Anna Kim has some thoughts on a winter walk in the park. Hey, good morning, Anna. Happy New Year. Good morning and Happy New Year. How, how are you with those resolutions so far, two days in? I made it to the gym yesterday in the morning and I'm hoping to go uh, this afternoon. And uh, in fact, Anna, this gives me the opportunity to shout out a segment that I'm going to do with Shane Baker, a wellness columnist uh, tomorrow on the show, all about creating good habits and some of the habits we want to get into with our resolutions. So that's going to happen tomorrow morning around 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. But circling back to walks in the park, what do you like about them, especially in the wintertime? Well, it has been, uh, and I, I heard the, the weather report for Ontario, it, is, it seems like it's been a really warm winter thus far for ev almost everyone around the country. And with that, I mean, 
walks in the park, you're you're in nature. I I find that a, a gym is a little bit anxiety inducing sometimes. There's a lot of different machines, a lot of different people. So for me, being outdoors in nature, you get that amazing fresh air. And I know I've highlighted a lot of different kind of outdoorsy or park things, but it's different for each season. You have those summer walks, which are really nice. But I find that in an, on a nice winter day, when you're walking through, you know, that nice crisp air in in beautiful snow-covered trees it just is something else especially when we've had such warm winters and I mean with a winter walk you can go as far or as short as you want you can make it as in-depth or activity filled as you want and there's just so much opportunity with it just to be outside and there's something about being in nature and connecting with that side of things that makes your day just a little bit brighter you know the, the the little bit of outdoor activity getting your body engaged it makes the day almost feel a little more productive sometimes and it you know all together it just it sometimes makes things feel a little complete there's something deeply sensory about a winter walk as well when people use the expression fresh air when it's like minus 10 outside it, there's something deeply fresh about the air. And then when you add in like the greenery, the green space, p pine trees, that's a sen that, that's the this, this sensory of smell, the sound of your feet crunching into the, gr into the snow, right? Like there's something deeply sensory about a winter walk in the park that maybe the summer, fall or spring don't quite offer in the same way. You are, you are not wrong. It, it, you can really immerse yourself in kind of that that winter wonderland feel whether you have low vision or not and it's there's you're right there is something about feeling the differences between walking on concrete and walking on snow or um even some winter walks some some parks have ice rinks if you're into that and and the ability the ability to kind of go from a walk to skating if you really wanted to or or walking on ice don't know how many people want to do that but you know if that's your fancy then it, there's just something about it and it, it, also the ability for for you to sit with family or friends and, and walk through a park and, and talk and be immersed in that. It's just, it's almost fairy tale like mm. And there's no doubt uh, that Alberta offers some pretty beautiful spaces to go for nature walks. And probably the biggest of big is the Rocky Mountains. So yes. you want to do a little shouting out of the Rocky Mountains here. What do you think someone should know before they visit the Rockies? And I understand when I say the Rockies, I know that's sort of a big long loaded term because they stretch across the entire province <laughs> just a little bit and the, the one the thing that i wanted to shout out which i i found absolutely fascinating and i only found it recently was the rocky mountain adaptive and it's a it's a, a program that they have to make skiing snowboarding winter sports more accessible to persons with disabilities and it is a crazy cool program i i've been looking into it and there is so much to it that you know you can you are given these opportunities that you maybe never thought you'd have i, I mean you know they focus on on family and individual lessons and they they pride themselves on ensuring that people know what they're doing or or how to navigate those rocky mountains with either with a buddy or you can do and go for just the experience and have someone there with you just not to teach you how to ski but just to be kind of a, a little support to make sure you don't run into trees because that's kind of a good thing mm -hmm. and i have done that a couple times you should see 
see the tree. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they, the, the one thing that I, well, there's, there's a lot to it that's really, really neat. But one of the, the big things that kind of caught my eye was the fact that they have an education aspect to it where they, they teach other people how they can help persons with disabilities to learn how to navigate those winter wonderlands and learn how to navigate the Rockies. And they, they really pride themselves on on ensuring that everyone can be a part of those winter sports. So, I mean, if you couldn't tell, I'm very excited about this Rocky Mountain Adaptive because they are just very diverse in what they can do and how they can teach you how to navigate so many different things. Yeah, they do really cool work. We interviewed one of their, uh, one of their, their, their top dogs uh, earlier this year or late uh, earlier last year I should say sorry I'm still I'm still trying to blend the 2024 2023 <laughs> thing uh, time is a flat circle but they do incredible work and that's part of a lot of incredible adaptive ski programs and nature programs across the country Anna you mentioned it you've, you've strapped on the skis you've given you've given the uh, the, the skiing a, a, a whirl as you're making your way through uh, downhill cross country what's your what's your fancy I'm a downhill skier. Um, we have this adorable little hill near where I live, Gwyn Hill, and it's just really small. It's where I learned, um, and it, there's very limited trees on one side, so that's this kind of side where I just point the skis down and see how fast I can go, and <laughs> hopefully I don't run into anything. It's fine. And, <laughs> I mean, I've dabbled in the mountains once or twice. It was an experience, and I did have someone who was able to guide me a little bit, but there's a big difference between a, a little local hill and, you know, Lake Louise Mountains, where yeah. you suddenly almost feel like you're on the top of the world. And uh, <laughs> with uh, no depth perception, everything just looks flat. So yeah. I ran into things, but I just have <laughs> stories now. Yeah, that that's a uh, experience that I can relate to as someone who's legally blind and did a little bit of skiing in their youth. Uh, little local hills like Mount Christie outside Montreal are one thing, and then you end up on the tourist traps like Mont Tremblant, and uh, it's, it's a bit of a different experience. There's a little more navigation uh, involved. Anna, while we're talking about the great outdoors, before you share a quick thought on technology on the way out the door, Today's Daily Poll is all about the outdoors as well. Ooh. Hundreds of people across the country took part in polar dips yesterday, plunging themselves in freezing cold lakes or even the ocean, which is especially wild to me um, <laughs> this time of year. Anna, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, would you ever plunge yourself in freezing cold water? Um... I like my warm sweaters and my fuzzy socks. I am okay. I will I will cheer people on from the sidelines. I ain't touching that water whatsoever. They, they can go have fun. I'm good. I, uh, I find that relatable as well. Okay, Anna, one thing here on the way out the door. You've also got technology on the brain today. And one of the common threads across this show is talking about technological developments and the possibilities and drawbacks when you apply the accessibility lens. What brought technological progress and accessibility to your mind today? I know it's kind of a jump from going, you know, outdoors in the mountains to technology, but it kind of being along the lines of outdoors, I had the opportunity to go to Florida over the break and, you know, a whole lot warmer, but I got to experience some different forms of technology that I found a little not necessarily concerning, but there were some drawbacks, right? It, we went to this lovely hotel. It was gorgeous. Um, the lobby was well lit. It was it was amazing, except the elevator, mm. which 
had a a screen as the the buttons that you usually push and it was a screen with these little boxes these panels and they had some very small writing in them and you had to scan your key card and then press the button and then there were like six different elevators and one would open up but they wouldn't tell you which one would open up it was it was a whole thing and for the duration of the stay there which was really only one day but i had to use that elevator quite a bit i could not use it alone one without looking like a goof because I would be staring, like crouching down, staring at this panel, trying to read things. Um, and two, without trying to find some other way to navigate it. And it was a tall building. We were on the 24th floor. I am not walking up or down 24 <laughs> sets of stairs. We've talked about stairs. That ain't <laughs> happening. So using this elevator was a, kind of an eye-opening experience where I realized, huh, there are some advancements in technology where it is not accessible and i mean maybe we could have a quick brainstorming session as to how stuff like that can be accessible or what are some other different technologies that we need to look into to be wondering how is this going to be a drawback for someone with a disability yeah that's where the notion of disability consultation really matters and i think that especially from the blind and low vision perspective touchscreens becoming more commonplace aesthetically quite pleasing not necessarily accessible or inclusive in the way that we're used to physical buttons and there are people trying to bridge that gap a little bit but it does feel like the explosion and expansion of touchscreens has gotten a little out of hand Oh, yeah. And I mean, I am only a young adult. I am just starting to travel a little bit. I'm just starting to, you know, branch out into the world on my own and also embracing my low vision and trying to find new ways to, to see how I can navigate the world and realizing that there are a lot of touch screens, a lot of different things that aren't necessarily the most accommodating it was kind of a, a not necessarily a big thing, but definitely a, a jumping point where I'm now realizing, huh, there's there's a lot that that needs to mm-hmm. not you know needs to kind of be altered a little bit or i need to find a way around it or you know i'll try and help someone to not have this happen again because as much as i love my brother being in an elevator with him for an extended period of time is not a pleasant <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah it goes back to the idea of independence you want to travel and you want to try and do it independently and you find the barriers big and small across your experience and that's one of the amazing things about traveling but it's also one of the very stressful things about traveling when you have a disability hey anna i gotta get out of here Happy New Year again. Glad you made it back from Florida safe and sound. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Talk to you in a couple weeks. That's Anna Kim, a community reporter in Wetaskiwin, Alberta. Let's bring in Laura Bain for the entertainment report. Don't play the music yet. We still got to get Laura Bain here in the mix. Laura, January 1st always marks an interesting time in the world of entertainment because this is when a bunch of work becomes available into the public domain. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Some people even call January 1st Public Domain Day for that reason. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess that's a thing. Anyway, uh, so this is a big one that people are talking about because Mickey and Minnie Mouse 
as portrayed in their 1928 debut roles in Steamboat Willie entered the public domain as of yesterday. Um, I mean, it is important to note that it's kind of as portrayed in those roles because Disney has made some changes to the characters mm-hmm. over the years mm-hmm. that are still copyright protected. But Disney's really done everything that it can to kind of fight against its content becoming uh, public domain. And this is despite the fact that most of their earlier content, like Peter Pan and Pinocchio, was only made possible because of loose copyright laws at the time. Um, But they've definitely been one of the companies kind of behind the lobby for these more restrictive copyright laws. Um, (laughs) Yeah, rules rules for everybody else, but the rules shouldn't be applied to us for all the content ideas that we uh, borrowed heavily from in the creation of our famed characters. Absolutely. Um, So some other notable characters that are, or content, I should say, coming into public domain includes Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. Now, I understand, I believe Pooh Bear himself. Yeah, Winnie Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I was going to make reference to that. I haven't seen it. It has pretty bad reviews. Have you seen it? (laughs) I have not seen it. I have not seen it. I also saw the reviews were not particularly good. But I do appreciate and support anybody reimagining classic content in a different way. Absolutely. Um, And we've also got the original Peter Pan character as written in the 1928 play by J.M. Barry coming into public domain. Um, I don't want to get too much into copyright and public domain laws. It's really complicated, but uh, pretty much in the U.S. and Canada, it's 70. It's the the lifetime of the creator plus 70 years. And Canada has made their laws more restrictive as of last year to come in line with the U.S. on that. Um, And once stuff is in the public domain, then, of course, people can uh, reproduce it and use it creatively, and they don't need any permission from the owners or or creators. Um, You know, copyright is something that I remember running into a lot when I was working as an AMI bureau reporter. Mm -hmm. We did a segment where uh, I took a singing lesson, and we were trying to find a song that I could sing, and we ended up having to go with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, which was uh, in the public domain. But I'm sure it's something you run into quite a lot in your role, Dave. So I'm wondering what you think. Should copyright laws be (laughs) fairly restrictive? And some have even said they should last forever. Or do you think that things should be more relaxed? My personal bias is it would make uh, our job a lot easier producing this show if there was uh, less loose, if there were looser copyright laws. You're Mm -hmm. definitely right to identify that. Uh, But if I'm to grapple with this question in good faith, Artists should be protected, right? If somebody takes the time to create intellectual property, they should be respected and protected to a degree. I don't know if the life of the artist plus 70 is the right number, and I don't know if big corporations should be able to buy up some of those copyrights uh, after somebody uh, passes away to then sort of further extend the clock outwardly. So I, I would be someone who's in favor of less restrictive copyright rules, but if it was more artist-focused rather than sort of the corporate way in which copyright has been uh, sort of uh, lorded over creatives' heads for the better part of 50 to 60 years. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. And I can see both sides of it as well. Um, Of course, artists want to have uh, the work they create be... Uh, protected, but then also there are benefits to things being in the public domain. And I'm kind of, you know, as I say, I'm not an expert about this, but I wonder about perhaps a distinction between commercial and non-commercial use of content. Um, You know, I know I took a 
like, well, I did my degree in philosophy, my undergrad, and, you know, uh, for really old works, like professors were able to just photocopy them and make them available, but not so the case for newer works. So, you know, situations like that, where it's, it's non-commercial purposes, perhaps the rules should be different. I think I think you and I are both sort of circling around the idea of finding distinctions, which uh, there are copyright lawyers who uh, get a lot of billable hours trying to find uh, those distinctions. But yeah, I, I, I would not want to eliminate uh, copyright protections, but nor do I want to create a situation where once you've created something, it's, it's there forever. At a certain point, we have to be able to move forward and grapple and reimagine. Hence, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. It might not have been uh, the best execution, but I love the idea. <laughs> hey, Laura, I would say goodbye and talk to you tomorrow but i'm talking to you again in about 20 minutes so don't go too far i will talk to you soon <laughs> that's laura bain you'll hear from her in the second hour of the show but coming up next january 1st of 2024 was arguably one of the best sports days ever yes there's recency bias involved the last thing i saw was the best thing i saw oh but it was good so brock richardson's going to stop by and uh, give quick takes across an awesome day in sports. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio form at amiplus.ca. That's the live broadcast. You can also find the show on demand on your favorite podcasting platform. Just search for Now with Dave Brown. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, January the 2nd, 2024. Happy New Year to you. Coming up in the second hour of the show, how do you feel about tracing your DNA? Laura Bain shares her experience using genetic ancestry kits. And the weekly news quiz will reflect the biggest news headlines of 2023. You'll find out how much Alicia Yardley, Karen McGee, and Alex Smythe remember from last year. But the show, the hour begins with Brock Richardson and a sports chat. Brock, before you and I reflect on what was a pretty incredible day in the world of sports, January 2nd is uh, off to a good start as well with the uh, World Junior Hockey Championships continuing in Sweden. Canada and Czechia tied 2-2 going into the second intermission. Brock, I think uh, the early signs out of this game is that it's a bigger, broader representation of the tournament as a whole. Czechia, Slovakia, Sweden, Finland, the Americans, Canada. A lot of parity between the top six teams in the tournament and Canada continuing to struggle to score goals. Yeah, um, this is a game where you've seen uh canada get out to a real slow start they got down two against czechia in the first period and then tied it up in the second so be interesting to see how the third period goes but there's only one team in this whole tournament that is undefeated through the round robin portion and that's the united states to me they are the top dog of this tournament the gold medal will run through the united states in my opinion so 
Uh, every other team's got to rise up to the United States uh, standard as we sit here right now. And after a slow start, uh, Finland upset uh, Slovakia today in overtime. So a uh, really great tournament so far. The hockey's been pretty good. And I'm someone who somewhat checked out on the World Juniors a few years ago. Uh, they're, they're reeling me back in, Brock. They're reeling me back in. Staying in the world of hockey, the NHL Winter Classic. The Seattle Kraken beat the Las Vegas Golden Knights over there at uh, the field, the baseball field, Safeco Field in Seattle, Washington. Brock, who cares about the game what did you think of the aesthetic? What did you think of the setting, the baseball fields rather than, say, a football stadium? I thought the NHL did a nice job with the setting. I always think that they have done a nice job with the setting on the uh, Winter Classic, on the New Year's Day ordeal. But I do like the football field feel better because I just think it's bigger. It's it's more of a uh, spectacle, if you will. It's not as traditional. Um than putting it in a baseball field, I would say. I I don't love the games anymore, but I do love the spectacle of the New Year's Day Classic for sure. I, I think I prefer the baseball stadiums, but it needs to be lit properly, and that was the beauty of doing it in the middle of the day yesterday on a day that was overcast and gray in Seattle, so the sight lines were good. There were no weird sun reflections off the ice. I thought the aesthetic of the product was quite good yesterday in terms of the presentation. The one thing the NHL has to figure out here, Brock, is the ice condition because right from the start of the game the players were expressing concerns about the ice conditions it was all chipped up and broken in the second period and the players were saying you basically could not move the puck along the ice and this is not uncommon the nhl's had a couple of, of ice quality issues at these winter classics if they're going to keep doing them they have to figure something out in terms of the ice quality well, and especially because you, when you look at the number of games they do outdoors in different um, fashions, they should be more skilled on making the ice uh, product better. Just because when you do that, then you're diminishing the product. When second period comes around and, and nobody can move the puck, that that really takes away from the game. And, and you want to see the same quality of game that you would normally. And the thing we shouldn't be talking about is how good the aesthetics are. What we should be talking about is the game was really entertaining, which we're not doing. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah the NHL's really got to fix it. Yeah, the game was not entertaining. Uh, let's move over to a different hockey story. Toronto's Mattamy Athletic Centre was electric for the Professional Women's Hockey League debut. Toronto did fall 4 nothing to New York. Toronto forward Emma Maltless describes what it was like to play in front of the sellout crowd. I've, I'm really lucky. I'm close to home here in Toronto, and I have a lot of my family here. Um, a lot of my friends got season's tickets, so I'm really, really lucky. Uh, the atmosphere was incredible. Toronto is an amazing city, and I, you could just tell there was a lot of uh, craze about our game and coming to the rink. Uh, yesterday for the first time here in Mattamy and um, being hosted so perfectly here. It was it was a great game and a great atmosphere today. Ella Shelton scored the first goal in league history for New York. Shelton describes that moment. I, I didn't even notice that first and then when all your teammates kind of look at you and are jumping, you're just like, oh my gosh, that actually went in. So um, probably a very surreal moment for me. I couldn't tell you if I remember it all that well. Blacked out a little bit during it, but um, very exciting, humbling, um, historic moment. So. 
Brock, uh, pretty cool yesterday. The sellout at the Madame Center, that's fantastic. A great start. But also really great that a TSN has signed a deal to broadcast the majority of the PWHL games, making it very easy from a consumer. If you want to follow the professional women's product, it's going to be there for you on your phone, computer, or TV. Yeah, and I think that if we want to get this league started off on the right foot, this is exactly how we have to do it. We have to make it accessible to basically everybody in every kind of way. And I think this is this is going to be a thing because all the games are sold out. And it's not just Toronto. It's, it's all across most of the Canadian markets. They're pretty well sold out. So you're going to have to take it in a, in a way that, you know, is, is virtual for the year. But for me, what we have to continue to do is get this product sustained and saying, we want people to come in. And I think the first step is the fact that they have made these games in smaller venues so that you're not expecting to sell 10, 15, 20,000 tickets right now. What you want is the five, six, 7,000 seat places so that we can see that the progression of this league. I hope one day we can get into bigger venues, but right now we're off to a good start. Yeah, definitely off to a very encouraging start after a day one. Okay, Brock, turning to the world of basketball. I know we're going rapid fire here, but the Toronto Raptors clawed past the Cleveland Cavaliers last night. Newly acquired Raptor RJ Barrett gave some perspective on what it's like to play for his hometown team. I mean, who doesn't want to come home? You know, who doesn't want to come home and play in front of family and friends and, and try to, you know, get a team that, that I've always loved so much, um, you know, back to, you know, like back to where they were in 2019. So, Brock, the outcome of last night's game, like, who cares? I, I think the, the bigger perspective here is the Toronto Raptors made a big trade with the New York Knicks over the weekend, sending out star forward OG Ananobi to get R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel uh, Quickly. Am I getting that name right? I don't think I'm getting that name right. Yeah. Uh, back in return from the Knicks. Let's, let's leave out all the other second-round picks and all the other pieces aside. Brock, your reaction to the Toronto Raptors bringing in R.J. Barrett. Look, anytime you bring in a guy like R.J. Barrett, you're going to see, uh, you're going to like that. The fact that he's playing at home is is a big deal. What I like is the Emmanuel piece to this. Quickly is a guy who is really able to, you know, get in there in the paint, uh, shoot a little bit outside. He's also a really good friend of R.J. Barrett's as well, which is something that is sort of under gone unnoticed here a little bit. I think when you have two teammates in a trade, when you're both kind of friends and you're coming into a new team, it can kind of help each other out and you're helping the team out as well. So I love this trade. Does it move the needle where I say, oh, we're going to be a, a championship team? Mm, not right now, but the fact that you have R.J. Barrett for you know the long term is, is good. So. Yeah, I, to me it signals the Raptors are about ready to embrace a very quick rebuild. OJ Ananobi was 26 years old, RJ Barrett's 23. There's a difference in those age groups because RJ Barrett is still someone who's growing into his professional basketball playerdom. OJ Ananobi is what he is. He, he's developed, there's no more growth for OJ Ananobi. So the Raptors have said, let's go get ourselves a star young player who also happens to be Canadian and bring him in to our lineup for an older player not trying to bring in much draft capital in return it now squarely 
really puts the target on Pascal Siakam, the Raptors' star forward, because, Brock, I would be stunned if he's not on his way out the door here for, for either another emerging prospect who's ready to blossom or maybe some of that draft capital on a Pascal Siakam trade. I think it indicates to me the Raptors are about ready to do a very quick retool to build around R.J. Barrett, Scotty Barnes, and whatever might come from a Pascal Siakam trade. Yeah, and I think that this is another one of those classic examples of Bob, Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri. They don't, they don't do rebuilds the classic way that people would normally do it. They do these these things quickly, and they do them right. Um, when when we've seen all the things that both of those guys have done from a management perspective, this is another one of those situations where I think, okay, I trust in both of you. You're doing the right thing, and I would be absolutely shocked if uh, Pascal is here at the deadline or past it because we're moving in a direction and unfortunately we're moving in a direction beyond Pascal Siakam. Brock, I want to paint a picture for you with the uh, college football semifinals that took place yesterday. Michigan beat Alabama 27-20 in overtime to win the Rose Bowl and punch their ticket to a national championship game. I've told you before, I am a diehard Michigan Wolverines fan. It's been about 25 years of misery rooting for this team. They stopped Alabama fourth and goal, three yards away from the end zone to win the game and clinch the game. Brock, I made a sound that I cannot replicate on the air because I think it just organically Mm -hmm. emerged from my vocal cords and chest. I then proceeded to take my shirt off and spin it around. Even though I was by myself in my apartment, I could not fall asleep last night. Brock, that is what being a sports fan is all about when your team makes it over the hump and does something spectacular when they haven't done anything good in about 25 years. That is why I watch sports. I did that same thing when Jordan Eberle scored that uh, overtime goal in Ottawa in the World Juniors many years ago. I made some weird, strange noise, and my father looked at me like, are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm fine. I'm just happy we got a goal. And I've never been able to replicate it, so I get it as a fellow sports fan. (laughs) Oh, I love sports. Brock, thank you for this. Happy New Year. Have Have a nice day. You as well. That's Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, how do you feel about tracing your DNA, your legacy, or your legacy? I don't know. Laura Bain shares her experience using genetic ancestry kits. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. You must have heard about DNA tracing kits by now. You may have even received one as a gift over the holidays. Laura Bain decided to try one of these kits for herself. Hey, good morning again, Laura. Yeah, morning again, Dave. So, Laura, the obvious jumping off point is why? Why did you want to try one of these DNA kits? 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't really have a great reason. I think it was mostly just curiosity, like kind of same thing that killed the cat there. But, um, you know, one thing is I'm, I'm super interested in travel. I pretty much any free time I'm researching and thinking about travel. And so I thought it would be kind of cool to see if I had any DNA connections to certain parts of the world. Um, I also have one side of my family where the family tree is pretty well researched and traced back, but another side where I don't have as much information. And that's kind of why I went with Ancestry, because it focused on that historical and family tree aspect that I was interested in. What was yeah. the what was the process like? So I went onto their website, ordered the kit. I decided to go with the uh, DNA plus traits, which is kind of an add-on that they offer. And that tells you things like if you're likely to like spicy foods or likely to have attached or detached earlobes. That's more sort of the kind of thing you might get with a kit like 23andMe. Um, so I thought, cool, best of both worlds. Um, paid full price, which was a big mistake because they then went like pretty much half price. So <laughs> I would give people a heads up on that. You don't necessarily have to pay full price because it does go on sale. Um, you know, the kit arrived. It's a vial, that a plastic tube that you spit into. It's kind of gross. And then you seal that up and you mail it back to them. That process was really straightforward. And then it took about a month to get the results. Now, as I said, I was also interested in the family tree aspect. So I went on to Ancestry and I purchased a six-month membership that gives me access to uh, building a family tree and like census records, marriage and birth and things like that. Um, so I kind of could fill that out while I was waiting for my results to come back. You don't have to do that. You don't have to buy the Ancestry you know, membership. And you also can do that without doing the DNA if you want to. Laura, this does not surprise me that not only did you do this, you went all out. This this seems to be very much in line with uh, the curiosity that uh, goes hand in hand <laughs> with your personality. What did you learn? What did you learn about your ancestry? Yeah, down the rabbit hole. And I even like, I, you get a 14 day free trial, but um, of the membership, but I wanted access to worldwide records. So I ended up just canceling that. And I was like, nope, I'm uh, go big or go home. I want records. I don't want to like be like, no, sorry, you can only access Canadian information. I want everything. Um, so basically, Dave, I learned that I'm extremely white. Um, so my ethnicity makeup, and it's just an estimate, but 46% English, 42% Scottish with lower percentages from Sweden, Wales, Germany, Ireland, and Norway. Um, so that did surprise me just a little bit because there are family members, you know, including myself that maybe have a little more olive tone to our skin. And I thought there might be like some Mediterranean or Middle Eastern ancestry in there, but if there is, it didn't show up for me. So... Uh, you know, the traits feature that I mentioned, that was kind of interesting to look at. It was right in a lot of cases, for example, that I'm more sensitive to caffeine than most people. Oh, That's definitely true. I'm super sensitive to caffeine. Um, but there were some cases that it was wrong. Like it said that I am not likely to get hangry, and that's not true. I get very hangry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Um, it was cool, but in my opinion, I don't think in hindsight I would buy the add-on because it, the information just wasn't that useful, even though it was kind of cool. Um, it's it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like fun coffee table fodder, but like, is yeah. it actually informative? 
exactly what can you do with that but um i initially had matches turned off so that's another thing you can do with the dna is you can like hey we found these relatives of yours i decided to go in and turned it on which allowed for me to get a lot more information about certain aspects like for example i could see that the caffeine thing came from my mom's side and like 100 percent of the swedish dna came from my mother's side so things like that you could do when you turn on matches um uh, you know, you're only going to match with people who have done DNA kits on Ancestry and, and have matches turned on. But I found two close matches, one being one of my first cousins and another being my great uncle in England. So that was kind of cool because when you do find matches, then you can uh, build out your family tree more based on kind of the information that they have filled in in their tree. So I, I, I can see why this is a really appealing idea. You get to learn more about where you came from. And, then, and that's fascinating, right? That maybe we've lost touch a little bit as a society with our, our true roots. But obviously, if you're going to go into this, you should have your head on a swivel. You should be ready and, and, and capable of knowing what you're getting into. What do you think people should be aware of before trying out one of these kits? Yeah. Um, there are a few things to be aware of. Uh, so one thing is that if you have matches turned on, you have to be aware. You have to be like willing to find matches, and that could reveal things that you're not prepared for. For example, that you have a sibling you didn't know about, or that there were just different parentage than maybe was expected. Um, I do appreciate that there was a lot of different customizable privacy options. So, for example, although I have matches turned on, I have like my family tree and my DNA information private um it's also useful to understand the limitations of dna which i know i don't have time to go into but um you know you only inherit portions of each parent's dna so it's very it, it's not the same as your ancestors so for example i could have had an italian ancestor and that could show up if my mom did a kit but that just wasn't passed down to me and my dna is going to be different from my sisters so not all of your ancestry is going to be represented um i mean also i think it's important to say that ethnicity is not the same as race or culture those are very different things and another consideration i just want to mention is that although Ancestry is one of the big companies and they have 2,600 global regions that they test you against. It's only as good as their reference population. And that does mm. overrepresent certain groups. Like no, sh no shocker, it is um, more representative for white people, like particularly of Western European origin. But it's not that straightforward because I had an in-depth look at the reference population and the largest sample group is actually indigenous Cubans. I don't know why. Um, so just some people, they just, yeah, some people are going to be underrepresented in that group. But what I do appreciate is that the information is publicly available, so you can go in and see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so the sample size is big, but maybe not a totally accurate sample, right? So it gets into yeah. that methodology and statisticianness. And like you said, uh, no time to pull up the abacus and calculators on that one this morning. But Laura, thank yeah. you for sharing your experience on this one. I think you've probably uh, perked a couple eardrums this morning. Yeah, my pleasure. And really quickly, I will just say that I thought the accessibility with a screen reader was better than I expected. I don't want to say it's 100% accessible, but I would say if someone's thinking maybe it's not accessible, I would encourage them to give it a try, at least with the trial, because 
it, it did work pretty well for me with JAWS and voiceover. Yeah, I'm at the point where I describe nothing as 100% accessible anymore because uh, nothing yeah. is. But that... <laughs> You don't want to guarantee something, yeah. but I will say I was impressed with the screen reader accessibility. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put that. Hey, Laura, triple dose of you today. Thank you for this. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> that's Laura Bain, a columnist based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Coming up after the break, decluttering. A new year means you want to clean up your house or apartment, or at least you should. Or maybe I'm taking you too close into my own closet. So let's air some dirty laundry after the break with Alex Smythe, Ramya Amuthan, and Nazreen Abdel-Majid. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Another New Year's resolution for me is to increase continuity and stand by my promises. Before the holiday break, we really wanted to have a conversation about decluttering, but time worked against the show. There was never enough time to dive into it. Elizabeth Moeller set the table on a round table and Elizabeth and I both admitted to being uh, clutter bugs. And then Ramya Amuthan said, I'm a minimalist. I have advice. Well, let's reform the round table with some new voices and fresh perspective. Alex Smythe, Nazreen Abdel-Majid, and Ramya Amuthan standing by. And Alex, I foisted this round table upon you this morning. Yeah, so uh, obviously me being away, I, I had no idea that uh, this was a conversation that was set to be carried over into 2024, but I am happy to have it regardless. So uh, let's dive into the topic of decluttering. And before we, we rely on the sage advice of uh, Ramya Amuthan as a minimalist, I, let's, let's find out how everyone else is when it comes to cluttering and, and if you're a clutter bug, if you're you know, good at decluttering. So Nizreen, we'll start with you on this. How good are you when it comes to decolor, decluttering your space? I became such a declutter, which is amazing because I was the type of person that kept everything from middle school to high school to, and nine years later, I'm here. Like it's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, I kept things from that long ago, which was crazy to me. Every time I clean my room, I get surprised. <laughs> I get surprised of how much stuff I kept. And I think it became so much better when I moved in with someone else because I had to like, you know, think about them too. <laughs> and I, I still call it my closet. Don't get me wrong. He has drawers, but I have <laughs> the closet, which is horrible. Um, but so, Nazreen, it feels like you're kind of lying to yourself a little bit here. It sounds like you just ran away from your clutter and now you're just cluttering <laughs> a brand new space. Okay, no. It, it, it was a big change for me, okay? <laughs> I, I still felt like I became really good at decluttering because I was the type of person that would not get rid of anything. My sister would always go through my closet and be like, you don't need to wear this. You're not going to wear this. This doesn't fit you anymore. Throw it out, blah, blah, blah. But oh. now I became like the type of person that was like, okay, 
what would she do? What would she say to me to actually get rid of this? And um, some advice that I heard from someone else is saying that if you haven't used it in three months, throw it out. Okay. Yeah. So, that, that's a good that like Marie Kondo or donate. Or uh yeah, yeah for my condo yeah that that's uh that, okay that that's a good jumping off point here but before uh we get Ramya's advice on this one too alex i was famously in an ami this week story where my apartment got decluttered and people have to this day expressed how horrified they were when they saw inside my old apartment in ottawa how much clutter i have i i actively try to fight against being a clutterer but it's like absolutely my natural instinct how are you with clutter alex yeah, so when I have the space on my own, it's pretty good. There's some things that do get piled up. I mean, even just looking around uh, the desk right now that I'm at, yeah, there's some things that should probably go. And I know in the drawer behind me, there are things that are in there that should definitely get thrown up. Overall, I'm pretty good, though. Uh, there are some things I do latch on to and I do have more of, like, clothes. I, I think the three-month rule is great, unless you live in Canada, where we have four very distinctive <laughs> yeah. seasons. Yeah. That doesn't quite apply, because otherwise you're buying winter clothes every single year. That said, I, I could cut back on a few more items that I do have, but uh, I just can't bring myself to throwing some of those out. Yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely uh, develop some sentimental attachments to things. Okay, that's the, that's the baseline. We've established the baseline. There are varying levels of clutter habits here, including Nazreen uh, not being honest with herself. But Ramya, you before the holidays specifically said, I am a minimalist. And there was not time to get into the minimalist mind of Ramya and within, which uh, I know sounds like an insult, but it's actually meant to be a compliment. So Ramya, lay it out there. What are the strategies? Okay, number one is that in the last 12 years, I've moved at least six times. Ooh. I'm trying to be fair by not counting every single tiny move, like from one apartment unit to another in the same building. But that has probably contributed number number one uh, in the biggest way possible for why I'm a minimalist. Because, uh, Nisreen, I can attest to having sentimentality similar to you, having, you know, memory boxes with stuff in there that I probably can't even recognize anymore because it's, you know, followed me around since I was in middle school. However, there is, a, I have this mindset, okay, and this is a, a true thing for me, which is just because I have the space doesn't mean I need to fill it. And that is the opposite of my mom's mindset, which is there's all the space in the world. Why can't we just keep everything we've ever bought and owned and cared about and had gifted to us? So I basically just, uh, first of all, yeah, it's about what is being used. But second of all, I don't like to just, you know, use up every single corner and square foot of my living space with stuff. I actually love having just space to walk around in, space to space in my kitchen that isn't dedicated to some kind of appliance or another or, you know, knickknacks everywhere. But I wanted to ask you guys as a follow-up to your, you know, stories of how much of a clutterer you think you are, is where you think it stems from. Like, Nisreen, you mentioned yours, which is wanting to keep everything that people have given to you or, you know, your shopaholism. But Dave, <laughs> like, are you a gadget person? Like, do you purchase things often? Um, Alex, like, if you're you're looking around and you're finding things all over your house is it because you these are things you've purchased or just your tidying is what needs to to be focused ooh, on because for me i am not a purchaser like you guys know from many mm. conversations that i'm also not a shopper i don't enjoy mall crawling i my closet can use a little bit of an upgrade like you know what i mean that yeah, i don't have yeah. 
that side of me either to then fight against. Like that's, you know, I'm totally cool with not going shopping and spending my money on stuff to just for the sake of loving shopping and having things. Yeah. Uh, so Ramya, I like what you're expressing there in terms of an intentionality, a mindfulness mm -hmm. in terms of space. I'd say the two things that really, or there's three things that really pile up on me. Clothes. Uh, when I find something I like, I will keep it forever, but I still find myself buying uh, new clothes because some yeah. of my clothes end up looking a little bit bummy over time because I wear the same <laughs> thing over and over and over again. And uh, sometimes the closet needs a refresh. Number two, yeah. and, the, and the pandemic was part of this, a lot of technology gear piling up around my house, some of it work-related and some of it Dave-related. But when you put these two things together, it creates a lot of technological clutter around my house. And number three is paperwork, like papers, receipts, uh, financial statements, all the stuff that's important to keep. I'm really actively trying to shift that into the digital space and creating folders on my computer with all the confirmations and paperwork all in there rather than out there filed away across my apartment in utter disorganization. So I would say it's those three things that pile up on me if I'm not super cognizant. Alex, I had the same question going to you that Ramya post. Uh, yeah, I think for myself, uh, obviously when it comes to clothes, part of that is you know the, the nature of what I like to wear and what I, I can and can't wear when you're on TV. And this is something yep. having been yep. with AMI TV and 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 all that for, for years now that you can't really wear logos. So you essentially have two separate wardrobes, especially if you, you like clothes that have logos on it. So that kind of contributes to it. Uh, oftentimes there's a lot of like gifts and stuff that the sentimental yep. things yep. or someone else gives you something. You, you don't really have a space for it, but you don't want to get rid of it. You don't want to throw it out so it kind of it sits somewhere and then the the important paperwork is another one i try to keep it confined to a single big box that has all my important like tax receipts and uh, investment papers things like that that you want to keep in you that way it's organized that you know oh it's going to be in here so those are kind of the the major <laughs> yeah. elements that uh, are at play i like that one the organized chaos box where it's yeah. like the box might at not look yeah it might not look organized <laughs> but i swear to you it's in here if i just dig through it uh, yep. so nazreen obviously you mentioned your closet is your closet and uh, you do enjoy yourself some clothes what else piles up for you um okay so i have to admit that what piles up is gifts yeah and i keep yeah. like gifts from uh, at a younger age and i think that's what my biggest problem was when i was like throwing stuff out i was looking at a, a lot of gifts that i'm like i don't want to get rid of it same thing as you alex i feel like I don't want to get rid of it so i just place it somewhere hoping that maybe one day i'll figure something out with it um and, and that it, day is it's now, the truth it's the truth <laughs> but everything else i am a minimalist in terms of i don't have any gadgets on my counter i love my counter just clear yeah if i see if i see like hamza putting something on my on the counter i get upset i'm just i get annoyed because i'm like no no, no i like it clear um, gadgets, same thing. I have a little uh, Nespresso bar cart that I have on the side of my living room, and that's about it. Everything else is clear. And same thing with my living room, clear floors. That's how I like it. I don't want to start cluttering because if I start one little thing on my ground, 
it's over. It's done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ramya, got to be a little quick on this last thought here, but along with Nazreen saying in terms of clear surfaces, that's what one of my sister's minimalist friends is always talking about, that things do not belong on counters. They belong exactly. away. Exactly. And that was going to be my last piece of thing to tell you guys, which is if it doesn't have a designated place, uh, whether it be a cupboard or a drawer or a specific reason why it's at a specific spot, which I think all of us have expressed in some way, like uh, gifts, I'll just deal with them at some point. Um, if you, if it doesn't have a dedicated spot in your home, then you've got to think about where it's going to find its next home. And it's not, you know, just hanging out at your place. Paperwork is a big one, Dave. I in, spent entire weekend getting rid of paperwork or uh, moving things digitally like you just got to dedicate the time because that's something that I can totally relate to but yeah in general like that that rule has always been a thing for me if it's just laying around here for the sake of laying around here it's got to go somewhere else and it's you know actively consciously <laughs> find that place for it Ramya we've got to go somewhere else so give me just an amuse-bouche <laughs> a taste of what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya at 2 p.m. Eastern time today Sure. We're talking about the foods that are better eaten raw versus better eaten cooked. Oh, and that's oh. with our nutritionist, Julia Granches. Right on. Okay. That's, that's all part of this New Year's resolution-y uh, component that you're going to get over the next few days yeah. on both shows. And moving on to those fruits and veggies and eating them raw. Ramya, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. You too. Thank you. That is Ramya Emuthin. I did not say thank you to Nazreen Abdel-Majid, but just know I'm extending my gratitude to her as well. And Alex Smythe will be back after the break as part of the weekly news quiz that is going to reflect the biggest news headlines of 2023. Let's see what Alicia Yardley, Karen McGee, and Alex can remember from the last calendar year. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday. It's the last segment of the show. You know what that means. Let's fire up the weekly news quiz. It's my Pillsbury Doughboys. There was absolutely no carbohydrates over the holidays. Not at all. Let's say hello to the contestants. You've heard from him a bunch today. It's Alex Smythe. Hello again, Alex. Hello again, Dave. From AMI's Human Resources Department, it's Alicia Yardley. Hello, Alicia. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And Karen McGee is a content development specialist for AMI, saying hello to Karen and Happy New Year as well. Happy New Year, everybody. Okay, let's jump right into the rules of the game. Three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. But if you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you hear the options, you get one. If you And get it right, you get one. And if you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order will be Alicia Yardley, Alex Smythe, and Karen McGee. 
All of these questions are going to be from some of the biggest news stories of 2023. So it's a bit of a memory test here, beginning with international news. So Alicia, last January, the U.S. Department of Transportation investigated an airline for possibly breaking federal law by knowingly offering unrealistic scheduling. What airline was it? Oh, man. Uh, can I get the options? Was it American Airlines, United Airlines, or Southwest Airlines? I'm going to say United Airlines. That is incorrect. Alex, a chance for a steal. Was it uh, Southwest Airlines? That is correct. One point for Alex Smythe. Alex, you get an opportunity to uh, jump ahead here. In February of last year, a world leader claimed that Vladimir Putin once threatened to kill him with a missile. What leader said that? I do not remember. Can I get the options, please? Was it Emmanuel Macron, Boris Johnson, or Benjamin Netanyahu? I, I mean, I can probably guess for different ones. I will go with Benjamin Netanyahu. That is incorrect. Karen, a chance for a steal. Emmanuel Macron or Boris Johnson? I'm going to go with Macron. That is incorrect. Alicia oh, Yardley picking, picking up the default point. So Alicia Ooh. on the board. All right, Karen McGee, a chance to redeem yourself. In May, a government official in India ordered the draining of more than 500,000 gallons of water from a reservoir so he could retrieve a dropped item. What was the item? Was it his cell phone? Two points for Karen McGee right off the top there. We had this one. Oh, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I would drain the St. Lawrence if I lost my cell phone. I had a petition <laughs> to do that. Just FYI, <laughs> I, I get it. Uh, the official who was a food inspector has since been suspended. He did claim the phone contained sensitive info, uh, but the phone no longer worked after being submerged so after one round we have karen with two points alicia with one and alex with one so anybody's game heading into round number two in the second round all the questions are going to relate to canada alex in september a global survey found that canada ranked second place among the best places to live in the world what was the number one country can i get the options please Dave? was it sweden switzerland or denmark I'm going to go with Denmark. That is incorrect. Karen, a chance for a steal. Uh, Sweden. That is incorrect. Another default point oh! for Alicia Yardley. Just picking up Man. those default points left, right, and center. Uh, the rankings were developed by global marketing company WPP and the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Karen, another opportunity for you here, though, with question number two of round number two. In June, there were numerous wildfires burning in Quebec. What European nation sent 100 firefighters to Quebec to battle the blazes? Was it France? That is two points for Karen McGee. In the spring, uh, wildfires were occurring across Canada. Other countries offered help, including Spain, Brazil, and South Korea. Question number three of round number two. Alicia, this one's going to you. In September, Peter Ruess abruptly resigned his position as a CEO of a Canadian retailer. What company was it? Oh, can I get the options? Was it Canadian Tire, Simons, or Indigo? Oh, um, I'm going to guess Simons. That is incorrect. Alex, was it Canadian Tire or Indigo? I believe it was Indigo, Dave. That is correct. One point for Alex Smythe. So uh, we need to put these uh, scores up here on the board because my math and my brain are not uh, quite putting 
themselves together here. So can we get the scoring update here on the screen for me, or can someone in the control room uh, throw that in my ear? Uh, I, can someone just uh, read it to me? Two for Alex, four for, four for Karen, and two for Alicia going into round number three. So anybody's game uh, going into round number three. These questions are all general news stories, and it starts with Karen McGee. Karen, in May, an American newspaper dropped the use of titles like Mr., Miss, Mrs., Miss, and Miss before last names. What newspaper was it? I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say it was the New York Times. That is, I think that's wrong. That is incorrect, Alicia. I know, I know what it is then. I know what it is Al then. Al Alicia, do you want options or do you want to take a swing at this? Options, please. Was it the New York Times, the LA Times, or the Wall Street Journal? I'm going to say the LA Times. That is incorrect, Alex. <laughs> uh, a chance for a steal here, but you're pretty much going to get the default points if you've been paying attention. Yeah, it will be the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> that is correct. One point for Alex Smythe. <laughs> Alicia, here's a chance for you with question number two of round number three. Who appeared on the cover of the 2023 Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue at age 81? Oh, my God. Uh can I get the options? Was it Mar oh. was it Martha Stewart, Jacqueline Smith, or Jane Fonda? Oh, uh, I'm going to say Martha Stewart. That is correct. One point for Alicia Yardley. Stewart is now the oldest person to grace the cover of the yearly swimsuit issue. I didn't know this, but Martha Stewart was a model and a stockbroker before beginning her uh, lifestyle empire. So there you go. It's a fun little tidbit for you. Alex, question number three of round number three is going to you. Can we actually get the scores back up here, guys? I'm sorry. I've not been able to attract it today. I'm having too much fun because I want to know what's at stake here for Alex if he answers three, this question four, three, correctly. I believe, Dave. Yeah. So I'm I'm down by one. So a chance can, for I a... I can tie up, Karen. Yeah, yeah a chance for a, an outright victory here or a tie. Alex, what U.S. and by the way, Alex, great job doing the math for me there. That's well done by you. Uh, Alex, what U.S. airline announced it is developing an airline seat that allows wheelchair users to stay in their chair when on a plane? Oh, I mm, I remember this. We talked about this on the show. We talked about this on the show. Uh, can I get the options, please, Dave? Is it American Airlines, Delta, or United? I'm gonna go with Delta. That is correct. One point for Alex Smythe to uh, draw even with Karen McGee going into the uh, tie-breaking question. So, just so you guys remember, we're doing, we're doing a closest to the pin on this one. So I'm gonna read the question, and then you, Karen, and you, Alex, get to make a guess on this one to see if you get it right. So, in November, a bottle of whiskey billed as the most sought after in the world sold at auction for a record price for a bottle of wine or spirits. Now, I should give you a point of clarification here. Paul Daniel put this calculation in Canadian dollars. So what was the winning bid for this bottle of scotch in Canadian dollars? And I'll let you both go here. It doesn't really matter. But Alex, you go first. Uh, I'm going to say 1.2 million. So Alex is on the board with 1.2 million. Karen, what say you? I'm going to say... 500,000. And Alicia, you want to take a crack at this just for the heck of it? Sure. Um, 124,000. And the winner is Alex Smythe. 
$2.7 million Canadian for what? the McCallum Adami 1926. Whew, almost 100 years can, aged right there on that one. $2.7 million. Dollars. Teenage kid getting into that on your parents during a party? You, <laughs> you probably want to put that one under triple lock and key. That's yeah. got to go in the double, triple locked uh, liquor cabinet through and through. With that answer, the winner is... Sometimes I do the sound effects. Alex Smythe, well done, sir. Thank you very much, Dave. It's good to know that I remember something. <laughs> yeah, good to know that the memory and brain cells of 2023 are still flickering away in the mind. Congratulations on the first win of 2024. Alicia, an amazing effort as always. Thank you for this. Thanks for having me. And Karen McGee, uh, not a chance right now to talk about the Professional Women's Hockey League. Maybe we'll try to sneak you on the show here later in the week to uh, share your thoughts on it because it was a momentous day in the world of hockey. But for now, I just wish you good day and adieu. Bye, guys. That's Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Alex Smythe. That's all the time there is for the show today until tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.